my wife and I, Elizabeth, have been part of uh, Mountain View since 20, uh, 2000. Um, and about the beginning of this year, we made a decision to come here to Sunnyside and make Sunnyside our home church. And uh, it is good to be here. Um, what I do uh, is I am a paramedic by trade. Uh, I continue to do that. That's what I do in my full-time job. Uh, I do that as an administrator, not out in the field, but I still can do that. Uh, and at Mountain View, one of the things I do, uh, Elizabeth and I, uh, we, we lead Regeneration, which is a 12-step uh, recovery program, which is a great. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we also lead Reengage, which is an 18-week uh, marriage study, and we just think that's great. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, I have known Ken and Anna for a long time. Pastor Ken was the pastor, youth pastor when my kids were in high school, in junior high and high school, and he has had a significant role in their lives and in our lives. In fact, to this day, Pastor Ken is part of our home every day. Uh, my son, my oldest son, David, uh, was an artist, and he drew a picture Pastor Ken, uh, which won an award at the Fresno Fair, and it actually sat in a congressional office for like a year, and that picture is still hanging, not in our bedroom, that's pretty weird, but, <laughs> but it is hanging in the guest room, so if you're a guest at home, you get to sleep with Pastor Ken staring at you, uh, and it's a really good picture. Uh, but it is the end of the year, and uh, so naturally, uh, it's the last day of the year, tomorrow's 2024, and we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions. And I think there's kind of two groups of people when we think about New Year's resolutions. There's those that say, hey, I'm going to improve my health, right? I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to start working out. And like, I'm going to improve who I am. And there's the other group of people that says, well, I want to improve my emotional health, right? I'm going to read more books and go on long walks. I'm going to take more vacations and rest more. I'm going to spend more time with the people I love. Like, like I, I just want to experience better rest. Naturally, everyone in this room, statistically, about 50% of you are going to make New Year's resolutions. And let's just be honest, statistically, about 10% of us will actually finish those New Year's resolutions. And I am just like you. I make them every year. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, I made a New Year's resolution that I was going to read the Bible every day. Uh, and I do it every year, and I get through maybe two weeks, and then I'll forget a day. <laughs> I make a New Year's resolution that I'm going to work out every day as much as I can, and then I get about two weeks in, and, and it just doesn't work out. Like, like we naturally, we think, hey, it's a new year. It's a new, fresh start. Let, let's start things new. There, there's a verse, and I love this verse. It's Romans 7, 8. It says this. It says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Like we all have good intentions. And we all want to do what we know is right and what we know is good for our personal health and for our emotional health. But sometimes just that flesh, and we just lack the ability to carry it out. So let's talk about what, what does that look like? How do we get to that point where we start to experience true life change? That's what I want to do today is what does true life change look like? And we're going to look at Paul. He, he is one of the apostles. He's, he's in the New Testament. And we're going to look at his life because his life was completely changed. It was completely transformed. He had to get rid of some old thinking. And we're going to talk about what things he had to get rid of, what doors he had to close. And we're going to talk about what doors he had to open to experience the goodness that I think God has for all of us. And we're going to look at the very last two verses 
in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a book in the New Testament. Uh, It basically starts with Jesus ascending up into heaven. The disciples receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter starts preaching these amazing sermons, and people start coming to know the Lord, and churches are being planted. And then there's a part where Paul is converted on the road to Damascus, and then the rest of the book is about his missionary journeys. And it ends with these two simple verses. I think they're so important. Let me read them to you. Acts 28, 30 through 31. It says, For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. One of uh, the translations, it ends with this last sentence. It says, And his door was always open. That's what I want to focus on today is, is as we think about 2024, how do we keep the door open in our own hearts to experience God's goodness? Because there is a period of time where Paul experienced struggle and stress as he's on these missionary journeys. But for two years, the door was always open. And there was just a peace and a rest that he experienced. And I know it'd be great if one of the verses says, and no one tried to stop him. If I could just have a year where no one bothers me, that'd be a good year. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about experiencing just a new sense of peace and a new sense of joy because the door is always open. So let's start with a quick overview of who Paul was. Paul was a Pharisee who wanted nothing more than to destroy the church that the disciples were trying to start. In fact, if you look at the book of Acts, he, he's the guy that held the jackets, has one of the apostles, uh, disciples was being stoned. Uh, and he went to the, to the Pharisees and he said, give, give me some orders because I'm going to go out and I'm going to start persecuting these guys because I want nothing more to than destroy the church. That's what Paul tells the Pharisees. And he gets these orders and he starts uh, going on a road to Damascus to start arresting uh, these fo- Jesus followers. And he's, he's on this road he has a face-to-face confrontation with Jesus. And it changes his life. And so for the rest of his life, he spends that journeying through what's now modern Turkey, modern Greece, and modern Italy, preaching the gospel. He does three missionary journeys. And on his third missionary journey, he's on his way back to his home city of Antioch. And there he gets an impression that he needs to go back to Jerusalem. In fact, he tells that to the elders. And the elders say, what are you thinking about? Paul, don't go back to Jerusalem because if you go back there, you're going to be persecuted even more. You're going to be arrested. And Paul says, no, I got to go back. And so he follows that prompt and he goes back to Jerusalem. Sure enough, he's arrested. He's put on trial. Paul claims his Roman citizenship. And then he's back and sent off to Rome. And that's where the book ends. He ends awaiting trial. The whole book takes place over 30 years. But Paul experienced life change. And he experienced life change as we look at his life in three different ways. I've come to believe that life changes because we have a different understanding of God's word. We have a different understanding of God's family, the church. And we have a different understanding of God's spirit. So let me just say this again. As we look forward to 2024, Life change happens because we keep the door open to God's goodness. And we're going to break those three things down. First, we keep the door open to trusting in God's word. Let's look at Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. 
Paul knew the law. He studied the law. He knew everything in the law. He knew all 600 and I don't know how many they are, but it's something like that. It's a, it's a number of them. And he felt like, hey, if I keep the law, if I keep the commands, then I'm going to receive God's blessing. Acts 22, 3 says this. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in the city of Cilicia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee, as his students. I was careful. I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just as all of you are today. Paul believed that in order to receive God's blessing, I had to rigidly follow the word of God. I had to rigidly follow the law. And that if I did that, then that's how you receive God's blessing. But there was a point in Paul's life where he had to close the door to that idea and open the door that that, that's not how you receive God's grace. You receive God's grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You receive God's goodness by understanding that there's more than just a bunch of rules that I need to follow, but there's God's love woven throughout every part of the scripture. For me, there is a turning point where that became very real, where the Bible not just became a book of rules, but it became a book of life. Let me give you this comparison. Earlier this year, I had some pretty significant medical emergencies. It required me going to the doctor, in fact, spending some time in the emergency room where they did CT scans and they did MRIs and several of them. And they did an angiogram and it was not a very good experience. Um, but the doctor had to do that to figure out what was going on inside my body. Could you imagine if I went to the doctor and I said, hey, can, 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 I got this stuff going on. Can you figure it out? And he just looked at me like, yeah, I don't really know what's going on. We don't need to do any tests. Just, just try to be healthy. That's not a good doctor, right? We're not going back to that guy. And I look back and I realize that that's kind of how I saw the Bible as I was growing up and how I was becoming a young adult. The Bible, it, it, it was just there to make me feel guilty about myself, and it really offered not a lot of help. But that began to change as I started reading the Bible again and again and again. See, one of the things we do here at Mountain View, Mountain View is we emphasize a daily Bible reading. It's called Shape. I take an Old Testament chapter, a New Testament chapter, and a, and a Psalms, and I, and I just read that. And I journal about that. And every year, I'm, I've gone to Mountain View for a long time, and every year, Pastor Fred over at Main Campus, he challenges us exactly like I'm going to challenge you. Hey, you should do Shape. It's a new year. Start doing Shape. Read your Bible. And every year, I bought a new journal. And every year, I try it again and again. And this amazing thing happened. I began to realize that the Bible isn't just a bunch of rules that try to make me feel guilty because I'm not going to live up to it. But, but it's exactly what God says. See, God is the good doctor. And God wants to help diagnose your sin and not only just diagnose your sin, but give you the opportunity, the prescription that's going to lead you to a better life. Romans 3.20 says this, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. See, when I began to read God's word and apply it to my life and allow the Holy Spirit to expose all that stuff and the sin that I was struggling with, 
And then to follow that prompting of the Holy Spirit to begin to change things that I was doing, the Bible became alive to me. It, it started to change how I saw things and how I, how I felt about myself and how I felt about others. And my life began to change. See, it's not just commands. It's a diagnostic tool and a prescription. Psalms 32.8 says this. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. That's what the, law, that's what the Bible does. God loves you. God wants to have a passionate relationship with you. And God wants to show you what a good life looks like. God wants to show you what a life of peace and what a life of joy looks like. And one of the ways he does that is by revealing his love for you through the word of God. As I was getting ready for today, I, I was looking through my old journals, and I've got several of them. Every year I buy a new journal on the 1st, and I buy a new journal on July 1st. I, I, I try to do one, uh, fill up one, and I don't get all of them done, but that's, that's my goal. And I've been doing this for a number of years. And as I was looking through them, I, I noticed one thing. I, I'm a doodler. Uh, like, if you're talking to me, when Pastor Kim's talking, I doodle. I draw circles and squares and pictures and drawings. That's what I do. It's part of my creative side. And as I was looking through my journals, my shape journals, I realized that the more times I doodled and draw, drew pictures of, of what I was seeing in God's word, there was more entries. Because as I began to experience God's goodness, that creativity can well up inside of me. My challenge for you is, is to shape. Is to shape not because I can check off boxes, because somehow that's going to make me right. No, it's to shape because God wants to expose you to a different level of understanding of him. God wants to show you how good he is. Tomorrow morning, I got a new shape. I'll start it. Am I going to get every day done? No. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that I spend time in God's word. What matters is that I, I, I expose myself to God's goodness. I have lots of pages that are going to be empty, and that's okay. My challenge to you is that next year you close the door to seeing the Bible as something I want to avoid, but seeing the Bible as something that God wants to reveal, his love and his goodness for you. That's what you should be doing. Here's the second thing that we need to be doing is that we should open the door to being faithful to God's family. Again, let's look at Paul. Here's what Paul thought. Paul firmly believed that God was only for the Israelites, that even to associate with anyone that wasn't an Israelite, like that's not good, shouldn't do that. Those people were called Gentiles. It was pretty much anyone else that wasn't of the Israelite faith. He believed that. He used a lot to judge other people because that's what he believed. Even after he was told by Jesus, hey, Paul, I've chosen you to be my disciple, to be my spokesman to the Gentiles. Every time Paul went to a new city, you know the first place he went to? The temple. Paul, there's no Gentiles in the temple because Paul firmly believed that that's what he needed to be doing. See, Paul had to close the door that God was only for the Gentiles, only for the Israelites, and open the door to that God's love was for all people. And the gospel of Jesus was for everyone because that was the mission that Paul was trying to do. Most of the New Testament was written by Paul. And there are letters written to churches who are full of what? Gentiles. Because God loves the whole world. 
It's why we love missions. It's why we speak about missions, because God loves the whole world. Not just one group of people, but the whole world. When Paul would write his letters, he would often write about speaking truth and love. And I know it's easy for us to talk about other people and think we're speaking truth. Usually that's called gossip. But to speak truth and love, that's very different. To speak truth and love is very different. And for me, the hardest thing was to speak truth about my own life. Like to talk about my own sin and my own struggles and my own failures. To actually be honest about those things. To be transparent about those things. Like I began to see church differently when I started to do that. As I said before, I am in recovery. I'm part of a recovery group. I've been a part of a recovery group for years. And that's where I saw the value of God's goodness when it comes to God's family. As I sat in group, I began to be honest about my struggles. I began to be honest about my sin. I began to confess all of this junk to guys I barely knew. And I wasn't met with condemnation. I wasn't met with guilt or shame. I wasn't met with shock. I was met with love and acceptance. I was met with prayer and encouragement because that's what God's family is meant to be. God's family is meant to be together. It's meant to be close. Beyond just coming to church on Sundays, it's meant to be experienced in a group. Many people will ask me, why did you come to Mountain View, Sunnyside? Like, you've been at Maine for 20 years. Let me tell you why. Ken and Anna, I've known them for a long time, and there was one day that I heard Ken and Anna talk about their passion for this church and their love for the people that come here and their hope to see the community. And that wasn't on a Sunday morning, because if it would have been on a Sunday morning, I would have probably said, hey, good job, Ken, I'll be praying for you. Because on Sunday mornings, there's like, there's distance, right? Like I can stand here and way over in the back chair. Like there's a lot of distance. And I know if I'm coming to church, that's where I'm sitting in the back. Because I like that distance. I, I, I like, hey, don't bother me. I'm not going to bother you. Like I like that distance. But if we want to experience life change, that distance needs to get closer and closer and closer and closer. Where I heard that story it was in a life group. Elizabeth and I were in a small group with Ken and Anna in one of our ministries called Reengage, which is a marriage ministry. And literally five couples are talking about how life has changed for them. It's this thing that we call a life map, and they're sharing their testimony. And we all have tissue because that's what happens when five couples share their testimony. And, and as I heard that, Elizabeth and I walked out of that room and we said, man, we need to go to Sunnyside. Why? Because there's a close thing that's happening. And when we hear stories and when we share life together, not only the good things, not only the joys, but all the struggles and the burdens and the trials, when we do that, life changes. And perspective changes. And after hearing that story, I said, man, I'm coming to Sunnyside. Because that's what God wants. That's what God wants in his family. He wants that kind of connection. Paul had to close the door to that. I had to close the door to that. That church was just about coming on Sunday mornings and walking away. You got your space. I got mine. Let's just keep it nice and distanced. Now, as you walk into next year, close the door to distance and open the door to getting close to people. You could do that in a number of different ways. You can go to re-engage. It'll start next year. If you're married, man, we'd love to see you there. 
you can join a shape group. Um, a shape group is a great place where I experience that kind of love, where I experience that kind of acceptance with other men. And if you want a real challenge, then come to Regeneration. It's a 12-step discipleship program. You experience a lot of great change there. But you've got to close the distance. You've got to close the distance and begin to get involved in the people's life and to experience love and acceptance the way God designed it to be. Here's the last thing that we need to do is that we need to keep door, the door open by submitting to God's, spirit, to God's Spirit. Again, let's look at the life of Paul. Paul knew the Scriptures. Paul knew the stories of how miraculous God was. Every year he celebrated the Passover, which was a reminder of God's goodness and rescue of the people out of Egypt. The plagues and how the water was open and they walked through it, like, all of that was amazing and miraculous. And Paul knew that story. They celebrated it every year. He knew the story of Pernum, which is a celebration of what Esther did when she rescued the Israelites from, the, uh, uh, from death. They celebrated that. God, Paul knew the, the stories of Elijah and how Elijah raised a boy from the dead, called down fire from heaven. Like he probably learned that in Sunday school just like I did. Like he knew those stories. But the last book of the Bible, the last book, Malachi, was written 460 years before Jesus was born. For 460 years, there was a spiritual famine. There was no miracles. There was no miraculous. There was a spiritual famine. And then on one day, that changed. Jesus was born of a virgin, just like it was prophesied. Jesus grew up and started a ministry and performed miracle after miracle after miracle. And then one day Jesus was persecuted. He was crucified on a cross and he died and he rose again. And three days later, he went up and, and, and defeated death. And he walked this earth for 47 days and after that, he ascended up into heaven. Like the spiritual famine was gone. The miraculous had come back into this earth. And we, as men and women right now, can experience that because Paul experienced it. Again, Paul is on a journey to persecute Christians. And he's on this journey, and he comes face-to-face -face on the road to Damascus with the Jesus, a risen king, and he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He comes face-to-face -face with, with Jesus. Acts 9, 15 and 18 says this. But the Lord said, go to Saul. He is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and he found Saul. And he laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on that road has sent me to you so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell from his, Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he got up, and he was baptized. See, what was once a story about God's miraculous ability and God's miraculous power became very real to Paul. He experienced face-to-face -face the presence of God in his life. That, that changed for me. It changed for me as I started to hear story after story when I started going to a recovery program about how people walked away from addiction, about how people were healed from 
abuse and from trauma, about how people had healing from forgiveness and brokenness. Like as I heard those stories and I heard those testimonies, I thought, man, that, that can only happen because of the Holy Spirit. I invited my friend Danny here. Danny goes to Maine campus. Uh, he's been going there for a couple of years, but Danny and I went to the Regen together, and I've asked him to share his testimony. Good to go. Come on up, Danny. Good morning, church. My name is Danny, and I have a new life in Christ. I am very honored to be here today to share how God has helped change my heart and mind through his love and grace in regeneration. Uh, before coming to Regen, I had been struggling with an alcohol addiction that controlled most of my life, which in turn caused me to really neglect my responsibilities as a loving father and husband at the time. I always viewed my addiction with alcohol as a way of life, and that's where I placed most of my identity and efforts. Uh, but I decided to come to Regen because I knew that I needed a change, and I also knew that what I was already doing wasn't working for me. And I wanted to prove to myself that I was a lot stronger than who I made myself out to be. For so long inside of me, I just wanted my heart to beat for something different. When I first came to Regen, I honestly didn't know what to expect, even towards the others in the group. I was only focused on finding out my own answers and how come deep down inside I lacked confidence in my abilities and how, I, how come I always seemed to feel so powerless even though you would never see it on the outside. But after coming to Regen, <clears throat> I soon found out the real reason why I was feeling this way was because I, was, I always felt the need to be in control. And when I wasn't in control, I was often angry, prideful, and filled with a lot of resentment. But because of Christ, my life is, changed, is different, excuse me, is different. He has really freed me from myself, trying to always control everything, which has allowed me to be more patient, understanding, and loving towards the people around me. Before Regen, I had always been hard on myself, often picking apart everything I did wrong and even overanalyzing the mistakes I've made. But Jesus has revealed this wonderful truth to me that my identity doesn't exist in my past, but only in my future that is now driven by his loving spirit, where I am loved, accepted, and set apart for his good works. I truly believe that Jesus helps us change the direction of our nature and attitude when we trust in him and that's where he creates a whole new standard of living where we trust in his will and his purpose for our lives today i'm happy to say i no longer feel the need to do everything on my own because i can look to him for my strength and wisdom that carries me through there was a time in my life that i would only look forward to being influenced by my addiction and how it made me feel but now we look forward to being influenced by, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in me. So <clears throat> I would like to share with everyone, as of today, I have now been sober for one year, five months, 26 days. <clears throat> I truly owe that 
to the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. Finally, I would like to share a song with you, and it's from Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us speak of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. <clears throat> I love this verse because it says to take heart. The meaning of the word take heart means to be courageous. So I encourage you to take heart, be courageous, and join in a recovery, or join in recovery in a regeneration group if you've been thinking about it. For our Lord Jesus Christ will meet you there when you choose to seek him with all your heart, and it will and can change your life. It doesn't happen because we just try harder, right? It doesn't happen just because I, I pull up my boots and I'm like, I'm going to keep trying. I'm just going to keep pushing through, and I'm going to experience freedom from an addiction. Now that happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Like I grew up in a shame and cult, uh, honor culture. I grew up in this idea that you just need to try harder, you need to try harder, you need to do better. And it filled my life with shame and with guilt and with unworthiness. But then I encountered the Holy Spirit, just like that. And it changed my life. See, it's the Holy Spirit that allows me to read God's word in such a way that I can be, understand my sin and my past, and experience freedom, and walk in the path that he wants me to walk in. It's the Holy Spirit that allows me to love, and to be loved, to be honest and transparent without fear, or without guilt, and to love others despite their flaws, because that's what love is. It's the Holy Spirit that allows me to do that, and it's the Holy Spirit that teaches me to pray when I don't know what to say. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches me how to listen to God's guidance when I don't know what to do. That's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that is what God wants for us. Man, I, I am so grateful that I am a part of Mountain View Church. I, I grew up in church all my life, but ha as an older adult, I started coming to Mountain View, and I started receiving good teaching on what it means to pray. I, I started receiving good teaching on what it means to walk and to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's not just an it. It is a person, the triune of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God wants us to have a real passionate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I needed to learn what that looked like. Yeah, I, I, I'm a Regen guy. And I'm not telling you that the only place you can experience that is through Regen. Now, there's lots of ways that we can experience that. There's lots of ways that we can experience life change. For me, Regen was one of those places. I, I, I'm not going to lie. Regen was the place where I actually read God's word every day because that's where it started for me. Regen was the place where I actually fellowship with man and told them what was going on in my life and they prayed for me because that's where it started for me. And it was the place where I saw the power of God's spirit work in life because it worked in my own. But I need to open the door to those three things. I, I, as I step into 2024, we need to open the door and keep it open and says, man, I'm going to have a new experience with God's word. I'm going to commit to reading it and trying to, trying to understand how it helps me grow. I need to have a different relationship with God's family. 
not, not, not just this distance relationship, and I'm good at that, but actually learn to know people and understand people and love people in small settings. It's a thing called life group. And then I need to learn to pray and hear and listen to the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants for us. That's the experience that Paul had when his life was completely changed because he left the door open for those three things in his life. He left the door open for God's goodness. See, Paul figured it out. Paul figured it out. He understood what the most important thing was. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says this. He says, I pass on to you what is most important. Here it is. I pass on to you what is most important and what has also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, and he was buried and he, ra he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture says. The most important thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most important thing is understanding that God loves you and God sent his son to die for you so you can have a relationship with him. That's the most important thing. Paul figured it out. And his life was changed because of that. If, if you've never experienced that kind of life change, if you've never experienced a time where you said, yes, I want to, I want to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to walk you through what that looks like. But for the rest of us, 2024 is an opportunity for an open door. And, and I challenge you to think, what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you, for you and your family, for you uh, in your own personal life? And I, I encourage you to come up as we stand. We can just stand right now. And as the, uh, the worship team comes up and sing, we're going to pray. But come up to the front and spend some time just committing to the Lord. 2024 is going to be different. I'm not going to just try and try, but it's going to be different because I'm going to do something different. So let's stand together.